From KUAR in Little Rock, I'm Phil Marriage, and this is Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. Now in our 17th year on the air and still the only program on radio today dedicated to the preservation of comparative generational thought. Our topic this evening is right out of the news, even though it was recorded back in 2012. Transgenders have once again been thrust into the headlines, but this program will enlighten you to their lives in a different way. You'll hear from an older, middle, and younger voice with comments like this. It takes a while for employees to get adjusted when someone in the workplace transitions. Making sure you get the right pronoun right, make sure you get the name right. Once I started presenting as a woman at work, I got to use the women's restroom. And it's taken some time. It took some time for people to get used to me being this woman. And it's been fine. In fact, it's probably been better since the surgery, since they know that, that I've actually committed myself to this process and I've completely gone through it. We'll be right back after the news. Welcome back to our 2012 complete rebroadcast of our program on transgenders. I'm Phil Marriage, your host. I'm very glad to have you with us here today on what I think is going to be a very important and sensitive topic. So there may be some of you listening who will be a little bit uncomfortable with uh, this generational discussion, but just like the program we did a few years ago on Still in the Closet, this is a topic that, uh, while under the surface in many ways, is very real to many. So today, we're going to compare our generational perspectives on being transgendered. And uh, what brought this to mind to me really was back in early March here in Little Rock, there was a female who was shot in the head, dragged behind a car, a very bad hate crime, Uh, committed against a transgendered woman. While that's really at the extreme of the experience that people in the transgender world face, it is part of that, and we want to talk about all the other areas other than the things that you would probably hear on maybe some TV program or radio program that has to do with the physical parts about it. That you can get just about anywhere. I want to really talk about the things that are important to that part of our society who falls under the transgender category, uh, work and career family and friends, uh, religion, politics, safety, a lot of things that you might not hear on a regular program. I do have three guests with me here today, and my older generation guest is Georgia Perez. She's 54. She joins us from Florida today by phone, and she started her transition when she was 31. She's been on homeowns now for the last 23 years. She began in 1989, and she lives essentially as a woman 24-7, and and she does not want to do the SRS or sexual reassignment surgery. Georgia, glad to have you with us here today. Thank you. Glad to be here. And then speaking from our middle generation is Andrea, and she just completed her SRS this year, and she started at the age of 30. She's 33 right now. She's in the Little Rock area. Andrea, glad to have you with us here today. I'm, I'm glad to be here. And then bringing up the younger generation really is a very young person. Her name is Allie. She's 17, and she's anxiously awaiting to start the transition. She's lived with this in her mind all of her life, and she's part of what is called the DISC, D-Y-S-C, which is a part of CAR, C-A-R-R, which is the Center for Artistic Revolution here in Little Rock. And I do want to thank uh, Randy for uh, suggesting our guest here today. Allie, thanks for being with us here. It's good to be here. I do want to begin with you, though, uh, Georgie, in that older generation. I want to start with the, uh, the the time period that you began the transition. This takes us back, like you said, 23 years. What were you facing then from a social standpoint to begin? How hard was it to begin? Uh, how did you decide to begin? Where did you come from to, to begin? I was born in Havana, Cuba. I was born in 1958 in a, you know, impoverished neighborhood, and I was born into a family of very tough, macho men. The neighborhood was rough 
and as soon as I had a thought, my first thought, and I started developing, and and they and you know they started seeing something different on me. Started immediately. I was criticized. I was very feminine. I was very tiny, and I I was very soft inside, and I and I was like a little girl. I was just very girly, and um and then they started you know, trying to change me, and anything I did was wrong. It, it was like I felt that I was like, that I came into the family that I was like like a damnation, like a bad thing, because, um, you know what I mean? In Cuba, I'm from Cuba, and over there, you know, they use very, you know, definite words, and they're not, you know, kind about it. They call us, you know, dirty, you know, dirty words that I won't, I won't say. This was in Cuba? This was in Cuba. I was there till I was 12. And as soon as it started happening, of course, I didn't know that I was doing anything wrong. But other friends would come around. Everybody would, like, could make comments about me. And then instead of my mother or my father defending me, it was like they would turn on me. And it was like I learned so much so fast about bad things. It was like everything I did, you know, it was like I was corrected for it. If my hand went one way, if I moved a certain way, it was everything was like, men don't do this, men don't do that. And then, you know, I have my little brain, and I would say I'm not a man, you know, I'm a little boy. Anybody could say something, and it was really hard. And then to make me supposedly tougher at a very young age, you know, I was entirely alone to go to school or whatever. And I was really small and tiny, and there was, you know, and the boys would pick on me. And the very first time I went to the street to get something from my mom, boy came out to me, and he, we got into a fight because he started pushing me around. Now, I don't like to fight, I'm tough, but I have heart. I do have heart. You know, I try to stand up for myself. It was like I, 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 I had to fight and got beat up. And, and no one, you know, it was like I was just left all alone. And when I would go home, I just felt like, like I was not a welcoming thing to my parents. They try to take me to places. We were Afro-Cuban. I'm very light. So you would call a high yellow girl, you know. And um, their idea was like if I were not there, I could toughen up. It was hard. I was taken to psychiatrists, doctors, witch doctors, to, to see what's wrong. And everything was about, you know, trying because I had a problem. Obviously, I was wrong. So I learned how to put up a personality that would keep me safe. Well, now you said that you started your, your transition when you were 31, which is just about the age that Andre is now. What was it like to start the transition in uh, 1989 compared to now? I, I'm a trained ballet dancer, classical ballet dancer. Because at 18, I had a nervous breakdown, and I and I was in a um, hospital for about nine days. And then um, I left my parents' house. So I was living in L.A. at the time. When I got here, I just, like... I just didn't know. I mean, I had no support. I didn't know what to do. And, um, and so I started dancing because I like dancing. And I got four scholarships. And I tried. I was like, I, I knew what I wanted, but I had no support. So I tried to be like a, like a gay guy. I thought maybe I could get away with it. I got a job at a show, that a, a very famous female impersonator show. I would look in the mirror, and I was maturing. Um, I've been a late bloomer. I was very feminine, so I it, and then I started seeing that I was, and I just said, I can't, I can't. It's like I can't do this. It's like I won't live like this. I can't. I can't look in the mirror 
every day and, and do that. It's like, and so I started changing, but um, I felt shame. I felt that I was I was scared for some reason that you know my my family would come and and do something to me. I don't know. Like, I guess some things since I was little, and I started changing in the show, and I figure I'm safe. I'm a gay, I'm in a gay in a gay on show, in female impersonators. And then when I started to change with them, it, it's like it didn't work there either. It was like, so they started turning on me too. Really? Because they are, yes, because they, they would say, you know, if you want to be a woman, you know, go be a woman. Mm-hmm. Things. And I was like, I just want to be happy, you know. They made it, you know, and I was strong. They made it very difficult, very, very difficult. I want to j- jump a little bit forward with Andrea here. As you've listened to Georgie there, Andrea, that sound anything close to what you experienced? Not, not at all. It's very fortunate that I had parents that were very, they wanted to raise me very gender ne- neutral as a kid. So we never really had, I was never really encouraged to be have very masculine. I wasn't encouraged to be this really tough guy kind of thing. Instead, we had a lot of like, like I remember playing a lot with Legos and things like that and so there wasn't really that moment where I was like, oh, you have to have G.I. Joes. You know, it's like you have to have these man things around you. There was more of a thing where you're allowed to explore on your own. And so I explored a lot on my own. And I think only when I realized when I was like six years old, when I was very, I felt I was very different from the boys I was playing with, that I start to realize that I was different and I withdrew. I was this very happy, rebunctious kid. And I withdrew and I became somebody else because I noticed that there was something wrong with me and I didn't know what it was. Well, as, as Georgie said, her friends got on her back about things. Did your friends give you a hard time too? I spent a lot of my time alone. I think I withdrew. I spent a lot of time in my room. A lot of my friends changed. I had a very small select number of male friends when I was like a kid. I was constantly picked on. But when I went into high school, I hung out with more people who were, I had more, uh, more, more females in my life. The changes in puberty, I realized that there was more of a draw to be with women and to be friends with women. It would make things kind of awkward. Because did you go through any tough times at all like Georgie did? doesn't sound like you ever ran into the kind of stuff she did. I was told when I started this transition that to be prepared to lose everything. When you tell your family, they might disown you. When you tell your employer, the employer might want to get rid of you or find a way to get rid of you. I was very fortunate I didn't have those, those, those situations happen. The things I did lose was I lost my marriage. That was one thing I lost. I was married. I think it was amicable between the two of us. I think we realized that we couldn't be together, but that, that went away. And, and I had changed jobs recently before that. There were some awkward situations with former employers, that uh, friends that just, just like, I didn't know you were that kind, that kind of person. But the people who knew me a lot more intimately, like from high school and college, were more like, we knew this all along. So um, I'm so glad you're happy to be your, yourself. I was a very odd and sad kind of person. And I think uh, people wanted me to be happy for once, my, and my parents especially. Now, let me jump back with you, Georgie, for just a second. Were you ever married? No. Okay. No, no. I've always, like, since I was, like, four years old, I, I like, you know, I like boys. Okay, okay. Well, now let's let's bring uh, Allie into the conversation from that younger generation at 17, very young. Allie, I don't know if this surprises you, what you've heard from uh, Georgie or what we've heard from Andrea, but what are you experiencing at 17 just at this very beginning stages of this? And, and kind of take us back to when it kind of started for you. At the moment, I don't really get any issues with people. Like most people just 
already assume I'm a woman anyway without makeup on and stuff. Well, now, let me stop you here. In in radio, people can't see you, but I'm sitting here observing both Andrea and Allie, and I, I also know what Georgie looks like. If If you were to see these people in front of you, you would think they were female. You would have no idea that they were not female. So go ahead and continue on. The looks of it, you've got covered. Like I've had a few of my family members that know, but they don't really acknowledge it, and they still want me to be this macho guy in what they are. They want me to be them and like them. But with the females in my family, they accept me, and they've helped me a lot. Okay, we, we're talking with middle and older who are in job situations. You're in a school situation or close to school. Well, I'm homeschooled. Okay, well, um, the peer group that you're with or when you go to college or anything like that, what do you expect? I don't really know what to expect because my high school life was very awful from 10th to last year previously because I got homeschooled last year. 10th grade was awful. Like, they would make gay jokes in the middle of class. Teachers wouldn't do anything about it. 11th grade was when I got homeschooled after three days because I got called a faggot in the middle of class, and no one did anything about it, not even one of my close friends. So we decided to get homeschooled. This is our 2012 rebroadcast of Transgenders with my guests Georgia Perez, Henri Azikas, and younger Ali. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after this break. This is Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow here on KOAR in Little Rock. I'm Phil Marriage, and if you're just joining us, our program this evening is from 2012, and the topic is transgenders with my guest Georgia Perez, middle-generation guest Andrea Zikas, and younger Ali, along with her grandmother. Let's get back. Let me start with the idea of family first, family and friends. Let me come back with you, Georgie. You mentioned that you were in Cuba and then in, in L.A., what about family and friends for you as as a person of your age coming up? Did you have family acceptance? Did you have no family? And what about friends? Well, we, we came to this country in 1970. Family acceptance? No, at the time I, I did I did not. And, um, and friends, yes, I had, I had friends. I had learned by the time I was like a teenager, you know, like by the time I was between 15 to 8 to like 14, 15, I had learned to to behave in a way that that would cause me no harm, you know. I mean, you were acting it, acting outwardly as a boy. Well, yeah, yes, as much as I could. And then, um, I, I around fifteen or sixteen, like something happened, and, and I just like, I I just naturally changed, and um, and then I and I started like going out and stuff, and then I you know like my body changed. I became really small. I had like a like a twenty. I, I weighed like hundred and fifteen pounds at that time. I had like a twenty three inch waist, uh, and so and then I became kind of like a rebel. So then I was like, wait, you know, I go out and I just make you know I just dressed really feminine and by not you know putting on hair makeup, by not trying to be a woman so much as just trying to be, you know, as feminine-looking as I could. Did you have any friends that helped you look feminine? No, no. This was um, done on my own, and, um, and, and, and my bone structure and what I look like helps me because um, I naturally look like a girl. Well, I know this may sound a little funny to ask you this question, but did you have a hard time learning, since you were by yourself doing this, did you have a hard time learning how to do the makeup and the clothes? How did you begin to take on I started, a... I was a male dancer. 
And so I, I was around a lot of girls, and I was around a lot of women in my family. My, the women in my family are pretty beautiful. So, I, and of course, I, you know, I, I would observe them, and, and you know, in, in, in my private time, you know, it was like I would think about it. And then as a dancer, you know, I, I, it was like I was a male dancer, but I was in a, in a, in a, in a kind of you know, with people that were more accepting and stuff. And then I started doing like like female impersonation and here and there, and, and in bars. And I would be invited to you know like I would like I would do Diana Ross or I would do some other star and do you know, and so I started doing that. So so the uh, people that you worked with or you were around were accepting of you, not necessarily your family. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, Andrea, how does that sound compared to what you've experienced, uh, family and friends? You said your family was accepting. They were accepting. How, um, how did they do that? They, had, they were accepting when they finally figured out what was going on. What about before that? Oh, before that, I always got hints from the from my family that it was not my place to do this. Whether they were seeing someone who might have who might have appeared as someone who was a man dressed as a woman and maybe cracking a joke, or or whether it was a um, uh, the feeling that not to do it around my grandparents, that I could not be myself around my grandparents. And so there was this, I sensed all those things were happening. I realized is that I was not going to give myself, I, was, I wasn't allowed to have permission for myself to live my life the way I wanted to live it. Only later on did uh, I did get the opportunity to come out to my grandparents. I did have the opportunity to do all these things later on, but later on in life. But earlier on in life, it was it was not that case. It was this. There was always this fear about how we were supposed to behave and how we we're supposed to look. And even my even my parents, my mother at one at with with her with her parents, felt like that there was an appearance about she was supposed to behave and how she was supposed to look. And if we were if we were acting out from that. It would not reflect well on her. What about the rest of the extended family? Did they uh, were they allowed to know? What's been great about the whole transition period is when my mother finally realized what was going on, and how she realized that when she looked back to how I was behaving, and thought it's like it was really strange for a boy to be doing these things, but for a girl to do these things, it was completely normal. Like to be the big to act like the big sister to her brothers. Mm-hmm. things like that, then a lot of things made sense. And so my mother got on board really quickly. And what's really neat about that is that, like, she does a lot of the talking for me with the family. Defending you? Not not defending me, but explaining me. Explaining, okay. And it's been rather, everyone's been very accepting. And friends, what about friends? Um, friends, friends have been there from the start. I think they sensed for a long time something was up. And so they've been very supportive. Yeah, I mean, there have been some situations where, like the ones I've had here, there have been some who have who have wondered, it's like, I knew the, who you were, I don't know this person now. As if that the person I was had died, and now this new person is, a pre, uh, is appearing, and they don't know how to relate with that person. Especially friends who were male, who realize it's like that, I don't feel comfortable hanging around another woman. Especially if they're married, you know. So well, you do take us into the other aspect of the of family that our other two guests haven't, and that is the marriage part of it. What you said you were divorced was it because of this? Oh, yeah, I would say so. Yes, and the feeling that I should have disclosed this earlier, but I really didn't know about that. What was 
I didn't see a therapist about how I was going through until after I was married. Mm -hmm. How long were you married? I was married for five years. And and in the, the transition, you said just recently started, so this must have come on to your relationship fairly much, I guess you'd say, in the middle of your married relationship? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That uh, I realized I needed some help. Uh-huh. I needed to find out what was going on. It's almost like that I, I was feeling like a puppet, that there was this puzzle going around in my mind about what was going on. I was trying to figure it out. And at the same time, I was afraid of what people would think about me. Mm-hmm. And so I controlled my emotions, controlled my behaviors. So um, I really couldn't feel like I can hug somebody. Did you have any transgendered friends? I didn't meet anyone who was just like me until I was 30. I was in the dark for a while until I reached out and I found people who were just mm-hmm. like me. Let me move over to Allie then at 17, again, in that younger generation, Allie. It sounds to me like you don't face the same thing with family and friends, at least, that the others have. Partially correct. Like, with friends, I didn't really have many friends. The friends I did have, they didn't know the full impact of what was going on. Trying to explain to one of your close friends that you're transgender is very difficult. It's easier to explain that you're gay. So I would just, like, just tell them... Mm -hmm that, yeah, I'm just gay, yeah. And then family, most of my family have been accepting and they're still accepting of me. Well, Georgie, is that something you might have experienced too easier to say that you were gay? Well, I, I knew if, I, if my family would have been supportive and I could have talked to them, I would have told them I, I want to be a girl. You know, I want to, I didn't want to be, I was not, I tried being gay. I didn't work very well for me. I was not good. I did. I, I'm a, I was a loner. Sometimes, you know, I would break down and my, my, you know, they would see me crying and they would like, you know, but they would, they, they wouldn't talk. It was like, oh, just get over it. You know, it was, it was everything. I, it was like, I was, you know, they didn't want to hear it. It was all in my whatever in my head. It was like I was just treated like, like, like whatever I said did not matter. And I felt like ashamed. And I felt like I, like I felt like I was doing something wrong. I thought that I was hurting them, that I was causing my mother pain, I was causing my mother problems. I started changing my personality and and then hiding my, myself deep inside me. And when the time came to bring me out, it was like, it was awful. It was awful to find me. I was so lost. To find me inside of myself was the hardest thing I ever done in this life. You know, the only thing I, I, I would love everybody to know is that I mean, we're human beings. We have feelings. And to be insulted so easily and to be treated like, why Why do we deserve that? And why is it okay to, like, treat someone like me like, like whatever you want to say, it's okay, you know? And I have to keep watching myself, and I'm, and I'm constantly on guard because, you know, it's like at any moment, you know, anything can happen to me, you know? It's like I was afraid. It was like... I couldn't start transition back then because the girls that I would see, they lived at night and they lived in the clubs and then they do they hit during the day, and I did not want that for me. I wanted to dance. Before we leave the topic of family, I didn't mention at the outset of the program that I have one other person here in the studio with us here. Allie's at seventeen. She brought her grandmother with her uh, along. Jackie's here too, and Jackie, as you've listened to the three of them talk about this, and from that other family aspect, talk to us about what it was like from your end of the family to experience someone coming to you guys as a family who is transgendered. The main part was the 
I think the religious aspect was so much a part of it because we had just been raised that this was different and, and it's not accepting. You're a, you're a boy, so you should act like a boy. Yeah, and yeah. we went to doctors from the very beginning that would say, you'll grow out of this, and it didn't happen. But if I hadn't known better and I hadn't seen that at two is when we started seeing that this was going on and that we knew that there was something different and there were everything. It was it was not like this child had every opportunity of everything you could want for a boy. And it was totally ignored and it definitely Allie wanted to be a girl. There was just nothing. Everything mm-hmm. was said and done. And it was very difficult. We were lived in a macho, a very Baptist, macho, hunter kind of family. It, it, so it was really difficult in that part. And it still is. We still, as we would say, we played the game of trying to fit in and keep people happy. But we also... Well, let me let me ask you here, too, Jackie. That I know that the, the pain that we heard from Georgie as she's talking and Andrea, what she's gone through, and Allie as she's facing it, the pain that they are and the opportunities that are difficult for them, them to go through, you guys, as a, other family members, what was that like for you guys to, to go through? I mean, this is a secret that they're, they have to keep. Are you guys as a family able to keep that secret, or what do you do with it, the secret? It's like a two-edged sword. You have this child that's one way, and... Uh, you, so you lose the boy part, but you gain the girl part, that, which was always there. Has always had to think twice. You know, you, a thought would come through as the girl, and then have to turn around and change it to be the boy. And school was very difficult, and and we've just played the game of trying to. It's a survival instinct until as the coming out gets stronger and stronger. And how long have you been coming out or in the process here, Allie? I started coming out more and more since last summer. About summer 2011. And and so far, so good? Yes. I've had good experiences with it so far. Okay. Now, I want to take the discussion into the next area that I really do want to cover a lot of these areas here, and that's work and career. That's something you're going to be looking at in the future here, Allie. But let me come back with you, too, uh, Georgie. Work and career. Uh, you mentioned dancing. Has being uh, transgendered been a problem in your work, or uh, what, what have you faced work-wise? I worked as a professional dancer. I trained 12 years in ballet, dance, and tap. And then when I, I went to Vegas for the show, that got canceled the very first night. And the owner of a famous female impersonator show in Vegas, I was called Boylesque. That does not exist anymore. I think if I wanted a job, because I was dancing as a boy dancer, but he, I looked so much like a girl that they thought I was. They thought I was like a girl impersonating a boy, you know? Call the thing, and then he said, "I want you to come in my show." And I and I went in the show, and it, it was like I was even like. By then, I have been working in a show with this fantastic artist. His name is Frankie Kind, good friend of mine. He's an impersonator. He does Lisa. He's like so. I was watching him. He would he would put me on makeup, and um, and then you know he's the person that taught me about makeup and everything, and. And and it did help me like through that. Once I got into the show, boy, less I figured I have made here. I can I can transition and I'm safe. So by then, when I started taking the hormones, we had to take it. I I had to hide that I was taking hormones because for some reason it was like you were supposed to be a guy and um that dressed as a woman. You couldn't be transitioning because then it's like oh you want to be a woman, you know. And it's immediate, and then nobody asks 
already asked what's going on, you know. I was doing hormones a lot. I was, you know, trying to, to change fast. And then um, because of the bone structure, because it's a natural thing, because God brought me to this world this way, it, it's like I, I started changing. And then I started looking in the mirror, and I would see more feminine and more feminine. And I, I was more pleased. My idea of me, when, once I started seeing my idea in my head of what I was in the mirror, Things started getting better. But when when that backfired and I lost that job, I spent like a year. Uh, well, I, you know, it was like I did. I spent a year like not working, and then at that moment, I didn't know how to go for a job. By that time, I still hadn't done. I I still hadn't had like hair face or facial removal. I have no hair on my face. It's like I did you no know, eyebrows and everything. Were you looking for work as a guy or as a girl? I would work in, in, the, in the discos and in the bars so they knew me and I do and I would do shows and come out and um and make, you know, whatever they pay me plus a lot of tips. I really know how to work the crowd and um and I would make tips and I lift up for that. So you it sounds to me like that you took your career, your work as close to becoming a female as you could possibly do. Yes. Well, let me ask uh, Andrea the same question. Andrea, at your age, at, at 33, what's the work world been for you going through this? Oh, it's been amazing. It's really been amazing. It's been more than I ever expected. I had started taking hormones at my job, oh, nine months before I came out. And I was getting to the point where it was like, my hair is growing longer. I am I'm starting to develop breasts, and it was like, I have to do something about this. I have to come out. And luckily, I had a very supportive office. They were very supportive. Why? Why were they supportive? I think they recognized that, that I was a valuable part of their they, – they wanted me to have a healthy work environment, and they kind of wanted to – maybe there, there was those issues, the things that they had to think about, like bathrooms and stuff like that, but I think they wanted to make sure that – this was not going to be a disruption. So did, did they help? Did they offer you a helping hand? They helped me along the way. In fact, they kind of knew before I actually told them in some ways. They kind of sensed that something was going on. And so when they were they were very prepared when it happened, and, and I couldn't be more supportive and I feel wonderful about my employment. And actually what's wonderful is that my story has allowed other people to – do things at their work to come out at their work and to you know and to I tell them about what my employer did for me and they've taught went to their employer and says like oh I can do this way I, I can I can do this I think the issue is that sometimes when an employer runs into a person who is transgender at, at the job they think it's like oh what do I have to do I think sometimes and that sometimes gets them to brings them into situations where they want to, to get rid of that person. But when they realize that there's a way that that person can still be a productive person in that, in, at that job, you know, they can realize it's like, we can just make these small changes and it can be very seamless. Do you happen to hear uh, other people in, in your category, if, however you want to call it, through uh, CAR, the Center for Art- Artistic Revolution, that have experienced negative work? Plenty situation? of people. Plenty of people. What have. are they facing? Well, I think a good number of my people I know who have go- gone through a transition are unemployed. Some of them have gone in, gone to college to thinking that a, a, a degree would help them out, 
but especially with right now, they find it very hard. It's very competitive right now. And so it's very difficult for them to have experience. So one thing you have to recognize is sometimes when we go through these transitions, we have to almost restart our work histories unless we, we inform our past employers about what we've gone through. Did you have to start yours over? I was very fortunate that I just stayed with the job I was. And so I didn't lose that. And so I knew that even if I got if I lost my job, I would have had my name changed and everything, and I would have been I would have had a work history still. It's the, in it's, that field. It's, it's the advantage of of, of coming out at, at work is that to know that is for them to know that even if you lost that job, they would know that you you had, you'd had that work history that you actually worked there. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back after this last break, so stay with us here on KUAR. This is Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow here on KUAR in Little Rock. I'm Phil Marriage, and if you're just joining us, our program this evening is from 2012, and the topic is transgenders with my guests Georgia Perez, middle-generation guest Andre Zekas, and younger Ali, along with her grandmother. Let's get back. There's two more areas I want to cover in our discussion, and we're already running very long. Again, let me remind you folks, if you're listening to the program, our longer version is at our, at our podcast, yttshow.org. You can listen to that at your own leisure time, uh, and it's well worth listening to all the information we can't get on our regular program here. One of the areas we've, that I wanted to bring up, and it goes back to what I said at the beginning of the program one a month or, go, or so ago when our transgendered person here was brutally killed in a hate crime, the safety aspect of it. Let me come back to you, Georgie, and ask you about safety all your life long. How has the word safety fit into being transgendered? I watch myself like a hawk. When I went out, I, I did not drink. I thoroughly, I've always behaved. Like a like a lady, but I did not drink. I have my eyes out for everything. I did not walk out from one place to another by myself. I had you know my a few friends, a few gay male friends, and I would have them you know take walk me to the car. I've always feared it, and um and I, and I made sure I was clear and I, that I behaved just properly. Have you had faced much safety problems yourself? I have been attacked a few times I, to the point that I, I was scared. It was like some people have come to my defense. And yes, I have feared for my life. Is it worse now as an older person than it was when you were no, younger? Now it's, now it's no. Now I'm, I've had, I'm mature. I'm full grown now. I'm, I'm a woman. I know who I am. I know. And um. But I still, nobody knows. When I go out into the street, I'm a woman. But a woman has to be careful, too. Yeah, anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm very watchful. You know, if I see a situation arising that could cause me problems, I'm just out of there. Well, let me ask Andrea the same question. Safety for a person your age in mm-hmm. transgender. I think early on in the process, there was a lot more risk because I was still progressing on the hormones. I had to work really hard work harder to get up in the morning and make myself look how I look. Then or now? Then. Then. The idea that you just, you just make sure you don't go to, to, to places at night that are unsafe. You make sure that you want people to see you the way you are. Do you look at safety from a female perspective or from a male perspective? How do you Definitely f- like a female perspective. I get really wary about going down places that I know that are not really well lit at night. I like to have company. Sometimes I'll ask a friend, can you walk me somewhere if I feel unsafe? I had more hassles with with safety early on where people would pinpoint me more. I'd be like, 
is that a guy? Is that a girl? You know, you're, you're raising questions in their minds and they're making, if you feel nervous and unconfident about who you are, because you're not that confident early on, because you're kind of, it's like, I hope I, I hope I pass today. And then if you're not feeling confident, the person who's with you is going to feel unconfident mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. And so it just, now it's less, less that. And sometimes I enjoy the company of strangers. So now it's just the female fear. Right, the normal it's, more, female it's more fear. female fear. Well, Allie, uh, how do you look at fear and safety? <clears throat> well, safety? with me, it comes from both, like the female perspective and also being transgender perspective. But sometimes it's more the female perspective. There are people that would hurt you just because they want to. But I usually always have a friend with me or family member with me. If I go to Walmart or something, I rarely go anywhere alone. And if I do go alone, it's during the day. I rarely go anywhere alone at night. Just for the fear of getting called out or whatever would happen. And you go out as a female. Yes, mm -hmm. most of the time. Mm -hmm. The last thing I want to bring up is really five things in one. Years and years ago when I took my first psychology class, the professor said that people, all people have five emotions. They were either sad, we're mad, we're glad, we're scared, or we're sexy. We have a sexual thing. All those emotions that we have. So I want to ask you guys as transgendered people from your generational perspective let me start with you Allie what makes you sad the fact that I can't start hormones yet and the fact that I wasn't born a female because I believe my life would have been a lot easier and better if I would have been born female and that makes me sad Andrea what makes you sad that sometimes I don't feel like I can do enough for my friends that I feel very fortunate to have what I have and I have friends who are transitioning right now and struggling and I often wish I could do more for them. Mm -hmm. uh, Georgie, what, what makes you sad? I'm dang justice and then remembering my whole history, you know, when I sit down, you know, I have a lot of hurt, damage. The baggage of life? Yeah, the baggage of my whole life. Like, mm -hmm. there's so many moments that come to my head that, um, and, and I'm sad that um, I'm sad that people uh, can, uh, can be that mean, you know. I'm, I'm sad that I'm sad that they, they they are like that, you know. Well, let me come back to Allie uh, on mad. What makes you mad, Allie, as a transgender young person? The fact that not a lot of people understand it. They just get weird around you. People can handle. Oh, you're gay. Okay, but then if you tell them you're transgender, they're just like, whoa, what? And then they just, like, don't really understand it, and they shy away from you as people, like, mm -hmm. when they do. Andrea, what makes you mad? And don't tell me nothing. <laughs> <laughs> as a group, too, as an age group you're in, not oh, necessarily wow. yourself. It makes me mad that of the healthcare things we have to deal with, we often are unemployed, and we don't have the, the insurance to pay for the things that we have to get. And often when that insurance is there, it doesn't cover the things that we need to have covered. I think the healthcare situation for people who are facing the same situations I am in life, whether it's hormones or just basic mental health, it makes me angry. I have to see people suffer so much as, as they do. Well, Georgie, what makes you mad? What makes me mad is that sometimes I, the biggest situation is when people think like if I if I have a lover in my life, if I have a man in my life, that that it's like I'm not supposed, you know, to be loved. They believe that no one can love me, and uh, and they are very wrong. 
they're very wrong. I, you know, I, I have a lot of love inside, and I've had long-time relationships with men that have loved me. And then people want to comment on it or say that I'm doing something, like I'm doing something dirty, and then, then I really stand up for myself. How, how dare anybody tell me that I don't have a right to love somebody or that somebody can't love me? Georgie, you're taking me right into the next one. I'm going to skip scared because we kind of talked about that in being, afra- in being afraid. You talked about that a little bit. Right. But the, uh, the last one was sexual. But let me transfer that word and use affection because that's what you're talking about right now, Georgie. I'm talking about affection. Affection, yeah. About... We'll leave that to somebody else. But talk to me about... Right. That's, uh, not, it's the, that's the sad point. People see it as, as the sex thing. They do not know. They do not know what I do. They don't, they're not, you know, I'm, I'm a private person. They don't know how I behave. They don't know my behavior. They don't know me. They don't know anything. But they assume that I, and, I, and that bothers me. That so is... Like, they assume that I'm like, you know, that I, I don't know, like I'm this nasty thing or that I'm doing this, like, and, and I, that gets me mad. Well, from an, because, a, from an affection standpoint, is it, is it tougher now at your age to find affection or, or express affection than it was when you were younger? Or, or is it easier now? No, I have, I mean, I, right now, I, I mean, I, I, I have up to 10 suitors trying to, you know, be with me. And I, last night I went out with a, a date for the first time in two and a half years with a man that has been courting me for two years. And we went out and, and sat down and talked. And then he took me home for one and a half hours, and we talked, got to know each other. I gave him a hug, and I came into my house and he left. Well, uh, let me go to let me go uh, back to Andrea uh, and talk about the affection end of it, or that that part of life as a as transgendered. Mm-hmm. How how do you see that at your age, and where maybe going in the future, and that sort of thing? Well. I mean, I've just been through the process right now. So there was a period of time after the surgery, I just didn't feel sexy at all or feel like I want to be close to anybody. But I think right now it's been a case where it's like that. I just, I'm hoping that eventually in my life, there is going to be this man in my life that I can have in my life and I can share and be my intellectual equal and someone who can, I can make smile and someone who can then make me smile too. I think that's what I'm kind of hoping for. Well, Allie, uh, you're at the, again at the early stages of affection and life with a, another person in your life. Uh, how do you see affection and that end of it from the sexual part as you look forward as the, I guess, as a female looking at the future? Did we ever ask if you were going to do thinking about the SRS? No, you didn't. But yes, I do plan on SRS. Okay, well then, as that would relate eventually to a, a, a relationship with a person, what do you see as uh, the affectionate part of your life? I don't really know because right now I'm trying to focus on school and stuff, so I don't really, yeah, I want someone there. I want to be in a relationship, but school seems more important at the moment so that way I can get my degree. That sounds pretty normal to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that way I can do big things in life. But after that, I just want someone to love me and get married. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you something now that uh, another reason that I wanted to do this topic on um, on transgender. Uh, I have a son who's 29, and he called me about two weeks ago, and he said, Dad, I got good news and bad news. And uh, I said, well, uh, what's the good news? And he said, well, I went on a date with this really terrific girl, and you guys already know what's coming up. He, she works next door to where he works, and uh, he'd known her for a while. And, and they went out on a date and had a great time. He took her home, and she told him the bad news, that she was a he. 
And I thanked him after we talked uh, a little bit about it that he was able to have a conversation with this female in his life that he went on a date and didn't jump in her her face about something negative about it. And they still work together side by side in these two buildings, of course. And uh, it was a surprise to him, a surprise to me. But I was proud of him for the fact that he was able to not be a, a butt. I'll probably edit that word out, but uh, uh, maybe I won't. Not in the podcast, anyway. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, I think the younger generation has a better... Well, let me ask you that, uh, Allie. Does the younger generation have a better attitude about transgendered piece, people? It depends on the person, honestly. Like, with my group that I'm in, everyone except everybody, because most of us are part of the LGBT community, so we all accept and love one another. The other people, they don't really know or accept it, like... People just assume that I'm a woman, but they don't really like ask questions. They're just like, oh, she's a woman, okay. Is the middle generation, as a generation, what's their attitude on transgender? I think it's, we've embraced more of the internet still and things like that. I think we've become more exposed to it. I also think, though, that it takes all types. I mean, people who are likely have more education might be more accepting of this. All backgrounds, I really what's the thing is that like, what I feel is like when I meet somebody and I get to tell them about who I am, I feel like that, that they can be that person who can be like, oh, my goodness, I know someone who's going through this. I never knew anybody who was going through through this. And then that person tells somebody else. I find out it happens a lot more. So I think that there are people who are willing to share my story and willing to communicate amongst themselves. There's a lot more sharing among my generation about stories and stuff like that, and they don't take it so personally. Well, uh, Georgie, let me final uh, ask you the final question on that. Do older people have an accepting attitude about transgendered people? I think as, as people get older, they, they become wiser. I don't know. I, I never had much problems with men. I've talked to many men, and, and I'm not talking about sexual. I'm talking about conversations and um, where they... Um, they were very pleased that they felt the essence of femininity that I brought, and we could talk freely, and um, really, it was very lovely. And but now, yes, I believe the older, the older people are like they're wiser. They have lived more, and I'm wiser, and I and I know how to act and behave accordingly, and and so it's a lot easier now. Yes. Jackie, did you want to say something? On the, the youth part, of uh, the wisdom is there of looking ahead to the future. But the other part is the, the child that's still there that wants love, wants the fairy tale, wants everything. And it has really been a struggle, and it's been a very strong loneliness of not being able to find people that you can find a few friends, but yet they do understand but they don't understand and so it's it's been really tough it's kind of like andrea said about staying alone a lot you could have friends but yet you don't have you're still looking for that fairy tale andrea but you don't have to settle i see a lot of people who get consumed in this transition period and that's a lot of what their life is and you know i want to have a career still that can that continues on i'd like to have a family there's you know and all these things can are possible now it's just a part of me this is just a part of me and i can be so much more complex and more than that 
If I want to make this my entire life, I can do that. But I feel like I'm much more than that. I feel like it's great that I have this that opportunity now that I've maybe feel like people in the past might feel like this, like I have to put my past away or I need to only do certain things in my life. I think that's kind of exciting about living now. I was just going to ask you, so you enjoy living now? I do. Allie, how about you? Do you enjoy living now yes. as you are? And Georgie, what about you living now? I, I yeah. I'm a very, I, I enjoy life Good. completely. Good. Yeah. Well, I do want to thank all three of you guys for being with me here. To, and you, I would like to say one little sure, thing. Sure, sure. If people would understand that I did not make a choice, I did not sit down and say, oh, I want to be a, a transsexual, you know what I mean? If I had that choice, I wouldn't have picked this. This is the way God made me. This is the way God brought me to this earth. This is what I am. This is real. And we are, we have, we're very sensitive. We're tender people and we have feelings. Just think about that. Think about your grandmother. Look, listen to this grandmother talking, you know, which reminds me of my grandma who was wonderful. And, and, and that we're people, that we're, that we're loving people, and to mm-hmm. understand that this is not a decision. If they believe in God, they must understand that God does not make mistakes, creates, and, and, and you are what he makes you. And, and, and please try to understand and accept it. Those of you listening to the program today, I hope you've enjoyed this part of it. And again, let me uh, encourage you if, you, if you're interested at all in this particular topic, you go to our website, uh, yttshow.org. You can download the uh, podcast of our much longer version there. I do want to thank all three of my guests for being with me here today. That last voice you heard was Georgie Perez. She joined us from Florida. She's 54, and she's uh, been in her transition. She started when she's 31, and now at 54, she's spent the majority of her life working through the uh, issues of being transgendered. Georgie, thanks so much for being with us here today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And then our middle generation guest has been Andrea. She just finally just completed her SRS, the sexual reassignment surgery, this year, and she started three years ago. And, uh, Andrea, thanks uh, for being with us here. I hope you enjoyed it today. I did. Thank you very much. And then our younger generation guest is Allie. She was here along with her uh, grandmother, Jackie, and Allie's at the very beginning of this process at 17. And, Allie, I know it's been – well, you were a little nervous to start. I hope you weren't nervous as we went through. You did fine. Thanks for being here, Jackie. Thanks for uh, your uh, input into the program, too. Before we sign off, I'd like to take a moment to update you on our guests. Andrea Zikas, right now she works in Anchorage, Alaska, for the Fair Anchorage Campaign as their community organizer. It's a broad community coalition working to preserve the city's non-discrimination ordinance and its protections for transgender people. And since the interview, she changed careers from a cartographer to a nationally recognized and respected transgender activist. In 2014, she co-founded and initially led the Arkansas Transgender Equity Coalition, which works on policy, education, and resources for transgender Arkansans statewide. In 2016, she gained national attention for introducing and endorsing Senator Bernie Sanders for the Democratic nomination, being one of the first transgender Americans to speak on behalf of a major party candidate for President of the United States. She's living in Anchorage, Alaska, where she enjoys nature and participates with a group of circus art performers. Allie has graduated from high school. She studied psychology and cosmetology and is now a hairstylist. She continues her young life with many friends and a very supportive family. 
I wasn't able to reach our older guest, Georgia Perez, though. I do hope you have enjoyed this rebroadcast of our 2012 program, and you can send your comments to ytt at kuar.org. Again, I want to thank them and you for listening. Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow is a production of KUAR in partnership with the University of Arkansas Little Rock. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next month.